I'm actually really dang optimistic because the fact that we have a majority of people who still mostly believe what they're told and mostly do as they're told and don't, not only do they not dare to act outside the box, they don't even dare to think outside the box. That actually doesn't matter. And I use the example of, of slavery because it's handy. Now, pretty much the whole world knows slavery is really, really, really bad. Well, a couple hundred years ago, most of the world thought, well, this is how it is. Like, it's a legitimate institution. Yeah, it's not that pleasant, maybe, but whatever. Like, you're the legal property of that person. So, it's you know, that's that how way. it works. And it had been that way for millennia. Yeah. It started yeah, for, 200 years ago. Yeah. Right. The tiny minority of, of people, the abolitionists, who said, we're, we're not going to pretend this is okay. And we're not going to talk about, like, compromise and maybe be slightly nicer to the slaves we're all the way going to condemn this evil and we're going to keep doing it and most people who are stuck in their you know the old mindset are going to think we're crazy and weird and fringe and everything else well that tiny minority of people dragged all of humanity in the right direction and i think that's going to happen again where the belief in uh, authoritarian power and political authority and all that it's going to collapse, not because the majority likes to philosophize and think about things because they don't, but because a tiny minority of people are going to keep harping on it and people will hear it over and over again until we get to the point, and I don't think this is that far away, where we look back on the time when we bowed to politicians and paid tribute to them and did what they said. We look back on that with the same disdain as we now look back on, why did we used to think he could own people? Welcome back, Freedom Junkies, to Freedom Junkie Radio Podcast, the podcast that brings more freedom into our lives in any way we can find to do that. I'm really excited to bring you my guest today, but before I do that, let me give a shout out to Chris's Coins in South Austin. If you're in the market to buy some gold or silver, hit up Chris on Slaughter Lane, K-R-I-S, Chris with a K, chriscoins.com. You can also go online and find him there. Tell him Betsy from Freedom Junkie Radio sent you. And now let me introduce my guest for this podcast. Today, I'm, I'm interviewing Larkin Rose. I've been a fan of Larkin's for a little bit now, and I've watched his new film a couple of times, actually, because I needed to. I needed to watch it a second time. Larkin has spent decades being an outspoken proponent of the principles of self-ownership, non-aggression, and a stateless society. Oh, yeah. An author of several books, including The Most Dangerous Superstition and The Iron Web, and the primary screenwriter of the recently released Jones Plantation film, Mr. Rose has produced hundreds of videos and articles and given dozens of talks dissecting and exposing the irrational and destructive nature of the belief in political authority. My brother. Larkin, welcome to Freedom Junkie Radio. It's great to be here. What an honor it is to have you on the show. I 
I, I, today I want to talk to you about your film because I really want to bring awareness to it. I think that people need to watch your film. And uh, then I also want to talk to you about some solutions. That's the main thing. I'm, I'm curious to pick your brain because you've had this libertarian, anarchist, stateless, uh, you know, the idea of self-ownership and sovereignty for a long time. So, and you've written books about it, which is amazing. So let's just start with Jones Plantation. Like I said, I watched it twice and without giving too much away, because I really do want my audience to go and purchase the film and get a bunch of friends to come over and watch it. It's most obviously an allegory. And I want to just tell you a couple of things that ha that I felt while I was watching the film. First of all, the fact that it takes place in the past on a Southern plantation with black slaves and a white slave owner, it is hard to watch. And, and you might not know that unless people told you that because it's been your brainchild. You had, apparently it was a animated short and then we've turned it into a full length feature film. But knowing that those slaves represented all of us was what made me, you know, was what made it okay, you know, to watch because the slaves are getting whipped and the slaves are being treated like slaves. And I have to tell you, your black cast of slaves was awesome. The acting was fantastic. You guys did an amazing job. And so here comes Mr. Smith and he, so for those of you who haven't seen it, for those of you who have, it doesn't matter. You have your slaves, which represent us being slaves to the system. And the slave owner, Mr. Jones, is starting to lose a little bit of control over his slaves. And so he hires this other guy to come in and teach him how to really keep his slaves under control. And from so he represents the um Mr. Jones, the slave owner, it's a little bit hard to know who he represents, but obviously those who think they control us, maybe the politicians, the underlings. Mr. Smith comes in and he obviously represents the people who pull the strings, which is really awesome. And the whole guise of the film is that, or the story is that if we can make the slaves believe they are free, if they think they're free and they're only enslaved by the chains of their mind, then they're much easier to control actually. And that's the obvious situation we're in. One of the things that made it work was the fact that Mr. Smith was black. That was brilliant because if he had been white, then it would have just kept us, kept our minds in the past and what it was. It doesn't matter what your skin color is at all. We're all the slaves. Now, wait a minute, you were in it and you, and I caught it the second time through, you were the Irish slave, the white slave. Yeah. Indentured servant is the nicer term for it, but it's more or less the same thing. And so without even going there and saying, hey, there were white, slaves too, you just tossed that in there to, to pay homage, I suppose, to the, that fact. What made you know you needed to make Mr. Smith the overlord, the guy who pulls the strings? What made you know he needed to be Black? Well, that was funny. That was, that was my idea early on. Uh, in the original animated version, we didn't do that. 
but early on in meeting with with Andrew Treglia, the director at a like random warehouse in Phoenix where we're starting to talk about it. I think it may have been the first time we got together and we were sort of imagining like who would be our dream actors to play the different parts and stuff. And out of the blue, I suddenly said, Smith has to be black and he has to be a former slave because it totally demolishes the the, the template people are taught to think in, which is in terms of big groups. Well, you know, you watch a movie about slavery and you sort of assume white people are bad, black people are good. And then it's about a, a divisiveness that's totally pointless. Like, I mean, even just factually, historically speaking, slavery has been around on this planet forever. And every race has enslaved every other race if you go back far enough and all over the place. So it's never about it's never about race. Of course, the people in charge want to make it be about that. But to me, that was a very simple way to to destroy the thing of, oh, this is going to tell us, first of all, this will be one more movie telling us how bad slavery is. Well, don't we all sort of know that already? Like, so that isn't the point. And I wanted to make sure it wasn't, it obviously wasn't about race. So it was very early on that I said, Smith has to be black and he has to be a former slave too, because that means well, he's one of us. We can trust him. He's there to, to to help us and all that. Because it's because we're up against this pack mentality that's driven by the political parasites. They want us divided by male and female, by white and black, by rich and poor, by people from different, you know, born in different countries. Um, and they train people to think in terms of those packs. And so I knew we needed to do something to mess up the, the that pattern of thinking where like this whole category of people is evil and this whole category of people is good. And it also, the fact that it, I actually, on the last day of shooting, I, I asked to be able to talk to the cast. Um, we were actually shooting the last scene and I said, you know, it may be lots more fun to be in a movie where it's rah, 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 the good guys win. But most of you, your job in one form or another is to represent the failing of humanity um, from the all the way sociopath Smith to the beneficiaries of evil like Jones and Johnson and and to the unthinking enforcers like Jimmy Jack and me as his helper <laughs> down to the people who either don't think about it or they see a little bit of truth, but they don't really want to stand up or say anything, or they all the way know what's wrong and they still don't want to. There's only one character in the entire movie that is all the way worthy of, you know, respect and, and, and adoration because he actually cares about what's true and has the courage to, to, to say it and, and act accordingly. And I want people to watch it and walk away thinking, I'm not sure I would have been the good guy. Like maybe I would have been the person who kind of knew something was wrong, but was too much of a coward and hid in the background. Maybe I would have been tricked into like cheering, you know, when they're punishing the one good guy trying to tell me the truth. But I wanted people to normally, like you want them to relate to the good guy. I actually want them to relate to the well-intentioned people who got duped. So not only is Smith black to demonstrate that no, it isn't white versus black, but even the the category being victimized, the slaves, a lot of them aren't the good guys either. The, the fact that somebody is a victim, it's not a virtue to be a victim. It doesn't mean you're the good guy. And a lot of people 
they will righteously complain about being victimized. But if you give them power, they're going to be a victimizer two seconds later. And most of human history is exactly that one group being tromped on and then they get power and they tromp on some other group. Um, so it's, I wanted people to be able to see a bunch of different sort of flavors of human failure, whether it's cowardice or being a sociopath or going along with the system because you happen to be, a, you know, you benefit from something completely immoral like slavery. Um, but it, I intentionally wanted to to mess up the thing of it isn't just here are the righteous victims and here's the group that's enslaving them. Um, and then more importantly, I wanted them to see how tyranny actually happens because actual tyrants are smart enough to not announce themselves as having bad intentions. Well, it worked phenomenally well. I think that was one of the best parts of the movie was that he was black he looked just like them and when what you just said that smith was one of us right so we're the slaves he was a former slave it also tells you it also reminds you on a deep level that those people who are pulling the strings they are just human just like us yeah and they're yeah. nobody than us and I loved all the little nuances. I mean, you didn't leave any stone unturned as far as, you know, just, I mean, the, how you managed to put the allegory, shove it into such a quick little, you know, give them the vote, give them money, put them in debt. I mean, you managed to do all that stuff in such a short amount of time. And it was hard to watch because they y'all sling the N word around everywhere. And I mean, so it does, it touches you in a, in a real, uh, it, it gets you in the gut. Uh, the serpent is symbolic and weird. And I saw that you were the snake wrangler. I mean, I watched all the way to the end because I was so curious as to where to where it was filmed and everything because it was a beautiful plantation home where it was filmed. So you are a snake guy? <laughs> well, that the ball python that you see in it is actually our pet snake it's in the living room right now. <laughs> um, and Andrew and I drove from Phoenix to uh, Mississippi with a snake in a box, and I'm keeping him warm the whole way. Okay, Steve, <laughs> that was awesome. So I'm not really a snake wrangler, except in that case, it was our snake. So I'm there holding it, and then awesome. I hand it to Maurice, the guy who plays Mr. Smith. So that was okay. A so the the false flags in it to me were brilliant as well. You pulled over on the people. I mean, you showed that so brilliantly, the the death of the child, the hanging of Titi, the, and then said you didn't, they said the, the Mr. Smith, of course, we don't know who did this, or oh, a oh, wild animal did this, and got the people all distracted and up in arms and fearful, and they did it. I mean, you, you guys really knocked it out of the park. I didn't like the way that they treated Mrs. Smith, I mean, Mrs. Jones, but I didn't get to, I, I don't know. What was the purpose in that in treating the woman poorly? Well, it's just, there, there's so many levels of, you know, control freaks aren't nice to each other. And so Smith is there and he's intentionally like lording his power over Mrs. Jones because he knows she hates it. And Mr. Jones, he's, he even does that in a different way with Mr. Jones. Like he he's, Mr. Jones is always a few steps behind what Smith is actually doing, and he doesn't explain everything until later. And so Jones is getting annoyed. So it's always a power game, even among the the 
the the team of oppressors they're being nasty to each other because they're not and that's what you, you can see that in politics they have their little petty bickerings with each other but they try to have a united front when it comes to like bossing us around and controlling us well and you can see jones's good side too his humanitarian side he didn't want when he found out what was actually happening it it touched him. He didn't want to kill his slaves. He didn't want to kill a child. He didn't want these things to happen. He had to go along. And so you got to see his humanity there, which I guess our politicians, once they figure out, hey, you're part of the part of the game now, and this is what you're going to do. It's got to be heartbreaking, but they, they either go along with it or they drop out. And um, the third party candidate, they allowed that third party candidate to come in. Yeah. He had a little libertarian there probably. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Noah being a libertarian. <laughs> and, uh, but of course there was no chance for that. And so at one point, Mr. Smith says, it doesn't matter who wins. It's who they think is in charge. How true. And just for, you've really ripped the, the pulled the wool off of the eyes of anyone willing to see if they didn't already know. And so a question for you. Final question here, I think, about that, uh, one of the final scenes. Do you believe the words of Samuel when he said, freedom is ours the moment we claim it? Absolutely. And the trouble is, as the movie demonstrates, most people don't know what it is and don't want it. And the problem is not we're in a world full of evil people trying to do bad things. The problem is that we're in a world of mostly well-intentioned people who don't understand the tricks of tyrants and they end up inadvertently being cheerleaders for evil while thinking they're on the right side while thinking they're pro-freedom and pro-justice and and all that good stuff um they and samuel tries to explain to them like what well, they're just mortals so are we why are we pretending there's something different and the challenge like that's that's still hard for me to watch. And I'm sure this is true of a lot of, of voluntarists and freedom advocates, because we can relate to the fact that we're not, we're not going out and telling people, I want to rule you. We're going out and telling people, I don't want anyone to rule you. I want you to be in charge of your own life. And they get mad at us for it. Like they, they literally hate us for advocating more freedom for them than they advocate for themselves. But it isn't because they're evil and it's not even because they're stupid. It's because they've been indoctrinated into these these beliefs and mythologies that that, you know, the the slave smiths in the real world are so good at pounding into people's heads. And so I, I want that to sort of be very familiar and painful for pro freedom people to associate with being hated by the people you're trying to free. Um, and it's not a fun position to be. <laughs> no, I've been reasons. there. I've been there all, all yep. always. In fact, yeah. I will shy away with certain conversations with certain people. I don't tell them the whole truth because they wouldn't believe me just like they mm -hmm. didn't believe Samuel. And yep. then they wouldn't like me, which is fine. I don't care if people don't like me, but then I lose the relationship to where I can't even plant seeds anymore or anything. So it's that people don't want to know the truth. You know, it reminds me of the Milgram experiments where 80% of people we found out, do you know about the Milgram experiments? Yeah. Yeah. Where 80% of people will 
even though they know they're causing someone else pain, will go ahead and do what they're told if an authority figure is telling them. Now, 20% of us won't. Yeah, there's a lot in the Milgram experiments that's very telling because the like the overall message is most people will do what they're told even when they know it's hurting other people. That's pretty depressing and discouraging. But if you look at all the variations that Milgram did, you start to get hints of what makes people not do that. One of the biggest things is if they see somebody else stand up and say, I'm not going to do this. This is wrong. In that experiment, most people would go, yeah, I'm not going to either. It's like, well, if you already knew it was wrong, why weren't you the first one to say, I'm not going to do it? Almost nobody wants to be the first one. But if they see other people standing up, that makes a big difference. Um, another one is if there's like conflicting commands from authority, um, like if you have a governor saying you all have to do this and the county sheriff says, no, you don't. That's stupid. We're not enforcing that. Suddenly people are left in equilibrium and then they can go, yeah, I don't really want to do that. So that, yeah, the study of of how the the being taught that obedience is a virtue, how that makes people so easy to enslave. That's, you know, one of the big things I've talked about forever. And that ties in with the 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 movie showing in a fictional setting sort of fictional <laughs> that this is how human nature allows a tiny group of of nasty psychos to control much larger groups of people who think they're doing the right thing and they're, they're well-intentioned they're not trying to be malicious but they still end up being pawns well it seems to me that the this libertarian mindset because because it's a generational now that you do what you're told many generations and some come down from slavery some it's just public school some you know you do what you're told you be good you sit you do it this is how we do it and or religion even you know it's 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 a lot of gosh it's ancestral at this point for us to break these and it have we to me it seems like it's a growing movement it seems like there's more and more people because people weren't talking like this 50 years ago they weren't having this conversation that i was yeah. aware of and there were a few people who were aware obviously but they couldn't really talk about it and it's it's you and i are vocal we show our faces this is like why would we be afraid fear i don't you know over that but there are people who still look at people like Julian Assange, who he's, I just can't believe that we haven't rescued him yet. He's sitting there and he was just willing to speak the truth. And it's exactly what happened to him that happened to Samuel. Yeah. And he's sitting there. And so some people are still going to be afraid to speak up, but you've got to get over that. I guess my question is, have we reached a critical mass when it comes to, to shifting things? Now people talk about a new earth. They talk about creating new systems, parallel systems. We talk about creating a parallel banking system, medical system, educational system, monetary system, all of it. Humans, we could go back to the drawing board. We really could. Is this going to be possible during our lifetimes? Yeah, and it's going to be clumsy and awkward, and there's probably going to be nastiness in between because when psychopaths start to lose power, they don't usually respond very nicely to that. But I think that even, I'm actually really dang optimistic because 
the fact that we have a majority of people who still mostly believe what they're told and mostly do as they're told and don't, not only do they not dare to act outside the box, they don't even dare to think outside the box. That actually doesn't matter. And I use the example of, of slavery because it's handy. Now, pretty much the whole world knows slavery is really, really, really bad. Well, a couple hundred years ago, most of the world thought, well, this is how it is. Like, it's a legitimate institution. Yeah, it's not that pleasant, maybe, but whatever. Like, you're the legal property of that person. So, you know, that's that how it way. Works. And it had been that way for millennia. Yeah. It started yeah, for, 200 years ago. Yeah. Right. The tiny minority of, of people, the abolitionists, who said, we're, we're not going to pretend this is okay. And we're not going to talk about, like, compromise and maybe be slightly nicer to the slaves we're all the way going to condemn this evil and we're going to keep doing it and most people who are stuck in their you know the old mindset are going to think we're crazy and weird and fringe and everything else well that tiny minority of people dragged all of humanity in the right direction and i think that's going to happen again where the belief in uh, authoritarian power and political authority and all that it's going to collapse, not because the majority likes to philosophize and think about things because they don't, but because a tiny minority of people are going to keep harping on it and people will hear it over and over again until we get to the point, and I don't think this is that far away, where we look back on the time when we bowed to politicians and paid tribute to them and did what they said, we look back on that with the same disdain as we now look back on, why did we used to think he could own people? Like, and that wasn't that long ago. Like, how how did anybody accept that as sane? I think we're going to be saying that about government and all of the concept of politics and political authority in, it's not going to be the whole planet all at once, but in a few decades, a lot of the world is going to recognize how insane that is. And then the masses who, like, aren't even thinking about stuff is slowly going to get dragged in the right direction. That that's happened over and over again from the, the idea that, wait, you mean women aren't just the property of their husbands? Like it took a long time for that to get dragged over and like you can't own people and it's not OK to beat the hell out of your children. Like all these acts of, of progress throughout society have been these like painfully slow dragging processes. But it's always been a tiny minority of people saying this isn't OK. And we're going to keep saying this isn't okay and do whatever we can. And you can laugh at us and say we're ridiculous and whatever, but human progress continues. And when you get to a point where everybody understands something and looks back on a ridiculous lie that they all believed, like you can own people, the, the absurdity of it's obvious right now, the people who believe they have a moral obligation to bow to and pay tribute to the worst people in the world because they call themselves government. Like they're surrounded by other people who believe the same lies and have the same warped view of reality, which I used to do. I was a statist many years ago. And so they're comfortable in the insane belief system they have. Well, if they start to hear more and more an opinion that says that's totally bonkers, why do you think they have the right to take your money and boss you around? Just being exposed to those ideas makes a massive difference. And the fact that this discussion is happening and that the like the mainstream propaganda monster isn't even mainstream anymore. Like there are podcast, you know, Rogan dwarfs all of the major mainstream, which means they're literally not mainstream. 
this guy who talks about interesting stuff, who he's still a status. It's not like he's super wise or claiming to be, but he's having interesting discussions. And whether it's Russell Brand or Jimmy Dore, like there's a zillion people, they're usually different flavors of statism, but normal people doubting stuff and having discussions. And I've said this for many years, once this becomes part of the mainstream discussion, statism is doomed. It'll still take a while, but it's sort of like if you're going about your life in slavery days and a tenth of the population says, yes, slavery is horrible and evil and we should end it by any means necessary. If people are bombarded by that day in and day out, they can't just hide from the idea. They're going to think about it. And so making the discussion start is 99% of the challenge that already happened because now you're actually getting self-described voluntarists and anarchists on pretty huge shows. Like Michael Malice has been on Joe Rogan and Jimmy Dore and, and identifies, yeah, government's totally bogus top to bottom, start to finish. Nobody heard that anywhere in the mainstream for, you know, the vast majority of my life. <laughs> Now it's in the discussion, which means that, you know, they, they, when the lie is this ridiculous and the propaganda is this involved, they can't have there be an open competition of, of opinions and, and viewpoints because theirs is undefensible and it's ridiculous and it's insane. So they have to make theirs be the monopoly on the idea. Yeah. You can whine about whether you want a right Jack boot or a left Jack boot on your throat. And that's like the acceptable spectrum of ideas but if someone comes along and says, I'm, I, no jackboot for me, please. The fact that that is now the discussion to me means that, that this is doomed and it's still going to take a while. It's not like there isn't going to be harm happening in between, but I believe statism will just be left in the dust where it belongs. And then humanity can start being what it was. We haven't even started yet. Like slavery was around for centuries. Like we don't count as human yet. If we haven't figured out you don't get to own other people. And when we get to that point, it's not like there, now we're finished everything. It's like, no, now we can start. We can actually act like rational, moral, self-owning beings and then organize and cooperate based on voluntary things and then begin to be what humanity should be. And I think that's 100% inevitable. And it doesn't mean nasty things won't happen between now and then. But I'm really dang optimistic, which surprises a bunch of people, given how often I point out that the evil's going on. And like this, this movie isn't exactly a pick me up. It's well, I sure wish that it had ended with I was hoping there was going to be a um, an, a, an answer, a solution. And there wasn't. It yep. just ends. <laughs> and and with no no okay the maybe the tiny bit of hope at the end was because I, I watched it twice so I got to pick up on things that Noah backed out like like Homer Simpson yeah and and um it was a little weird how uh Jimmy Jack went and picked up Sarah and then you don't know what happened you don't yeah. know so you're left there with, you know, maybe he, you know, Jimmy Jack, he, he had some, he, he showed some good qualities there when he recognized that evil was happening and he shared that information and stuff, you know, so the, some good character development there. Um, you said something about people thinking that it's morally the right thing that we have 
uh, a state and government. And I think that it's not that if you ask them if you, if they think that's moral, I, I think that they're doing it out of fear because it's a fear-based system. If you don't pay your taxes, you go to jail. Yeah, the thing is, that's actually, a, a, this sounds weird, that's actually a good sign because that means they're just ruling by thuggery and they've sort of given up on convincing people that like obedience is a virtue and you should be proud to be a law-abiding taxpayer and yada, yada, yada. When the tire, basically they're reverting to old school tyranny, like do it because we said so and we'll hurt you if if you don't. But when you're doing that, you're losing control of their, their minds. So you may be, I mean, like Smith says, yeah, you can control a man through brute violence for a period, but you cannot truly own a man unless he thinks your word is law and that he must obey and is virtuous for doing so. Well, that is becoming less and less true, which is one of the reasons I'm so optimistic. It was in my lifetime that people were very proud to be law-abiding taxpayers, and I'm proud to pay my taxes. Now people are like, well, I have to, or they do nasty things to me. That is a huge shift. And on a practical level, it may look the same because it's like, well, either way, the people are getting robbed. Yeah, but the people who recognize it as wrong are a thousand times closer to achieving freedom than the people who feel obligated to be victimized. Like, like the victim who can't even recognize that this is not okay, like they're they're enslaved in their own heads, so they're kind of doomed. But the ones who are only physically dominated, but their brain is starting to figure out this isn't okay, and the moment you give me a chance, I'm going to resist or run away or whatever, that is a population capable of achieving freedom pretty dang quickly if they get to the point where they just look around at each other and go, why are we doing this? <laughs> like we outnumber them to a huge degree. Let's just stop. But you can't do that if the people still feel an obligation to bow. Yeah. So uh, this is so exciting to me. You've made my day. You've made my week. This will probably um, invigorate me. Your optimism, the fact that you said, oh yeah, this, how can this not happen? Kind of like slavery is no longer slavery above the board is no longer a thing. It's still happening. You know, we know right. but you have to keep it a secret if you've got a slave. Yeah. Um, and I felt an authenticity in that. I felt it Larkin, this we're, we're on the path. Okay. So the way that it can be where people are sovereign and self have self-governance and local groups are getting together, creating the, what, if they want a government of sorts, they can have it, they can figure out it. We do not have a template for this. And if all of us, if enough of us just looked around at one point and said, okay, We've just gone back and read our founding documents, and this isn't, this is no longer a legitimate thing going on here. None of it. These wars that are happening, the, you know, ever since 1871 or 1913, pick your date when everything started really going badly, when they um, shifted it over to the Corporation of the United States or whenever they created the Federal Reserve, which is completely bogus, whenever they took us off the gold standard. I mean, all these things happened, we can look at any of those dates and say, this is, this is illegitimate, this thing over us. So let's rethink things. That moment in time, like you said, is going to be really wonky and weird because nobody agrees as to the best thing. We all, we know what's best for ourselves. 
So the conversation that I want to start having is, you know, the, uh, the, I think that this old system is in its death throes. I really do. I don't know how long that's going to take, but to build something new for humanity where we, that looks entirely new. I want to start having those conversations with people and what a, an honor and blessing it is to have you on here because you've thought about this stuff before you've, you, you know, a lot of people are like, Oh gosh, what would a new earth look like? You know, how could we do mm -hmm. this? What do we do? There's a, there's a weird phenomenon. I, I've, a few times I've done a thing that I refer to as the Island analogy where I have a group of, you know, 50 people or whatever. And I say, let's pretend and it works best if we don't even know each other and we're not even of the same beliefs on everything. Let's pretend we're shipwrecked on an island and there's no authority to call and nobody's there. We have plenty of resources, so we're not like all going to starve to death in a week. But what are we going to do about stuff? How are, and I start walking them through scenarios to see what they think. The moment people are in grown-up mode, like they realize, well, there's no authorities to call. There's no government agencies. There's no guy with a badge. Having had no practice and no warning ahead of time that I was going to ask them any of this, in five minutes, they all come up with better solutions than government has ever suggested anywhere in the history of government. Like literally, because government's solution is always, well, for starters, we're going to rob all of you to, to fund whatever stupid, stupid plan we come up with. Then we're going to come up with a plan that benefits us and doesn't really benefit you because we don't really care about you. We just have to pretend to. So you let us have power over you. And people need the, the practice of thinking like grownups when they've been trained to think like children. They've been trained that, well, if there's trouble, call 911. Like, don't act like a grownup and think that maybe you have to defend the innocent or maybe you have to help the poor or maybe you have to help these people out of this problem or figure out some way to settle this dispute. No, you, you act and you think like children and then you wind to an authority to solve all those things for you. So they've been trained to be stupid children, but we have lots of examples. Like when there's a, a flood or a tornado or some horrible catastrophe happens and people are like, well, you can dial 911 except the phones don't work and government is nowhere here. And suddenly a bunch of them are like, all right, get in the boat. Where can we get fresh water? Where can we get food? Like, let's go out and rescue people who are like on their roofs as the water is rising they suddenly act like grownups. And so as much as I like the discussion of ways to like practically handle like defense and caring for the poor and, and you know, organizing a zillion different things, food production and transportation and everything under the sun, I think a way more important thing than whatever suggestions I could come up with, because whatever I come up with, a thousand other people are going to have better ideas. I'm not going to be emperor of anarchy, as I flippantly say. I'm just me. Like, maybe my ideas won't totally suck. But I think it's way more important that all the people start thinking like grownups. Like, what you do is your responsibility. And if something needs to be done about something, why isn't it you that needs to do it? Instead of, well, who's, who's the authority who's supposed to do that? And when people just get into that mindset, they, they look almost like a different species. They're suddenly so much more thoughtful and careful. Like in my island analogy, I'll say, let's say somebody, somebody got caught like stealing something. Somebody made a, a bow and arrow or somebody, somebody else stole it. What are we going to do about it? 
Like we're just us. There's no authority. There's no courts. There's no government. There's no cops. And then we have this discussion. And the first thing to notice is people are suddenly careful because they don't want to go overboard. They don't want to harm people. They want to protect the victim of the, the theft, but they also don't want to just be chopping off people's heads. So some people are like, well, let's talk to the person and like see why they felt the need to do that. And is there, and other people are like, yeah, but there has to be negative consequences. But the entire discussion is a discussion between grownups who are all accepting responsibility for whatever they would choose to do. Because there's in that setting, there's no such thing as, I was just following orders. Like there's nobody giving orders. Like what you choose to do about whatever the situation is, that's on you. And if you go overboard and everybody else is looking like, well, uh, okay, you just beat the hell out of that guy because he stole a little fish. Like that's a little messed up. Now we're worried about you. But people, when the responsibility is on them, they're naturally cautious and thoughtful. But when it's just, oh, pass a law, have government take care of the poor. Well, how? I don't know. They'll, they'll find money somewhere. Yeah, they'll steal it from us under threat of force and defend us by having like uh, lots of guys with big guns. It's like, are they going to use that responsibly? Probably not. Are they going to take responsibility for literally killing people? No, they're going to say they were just following orders. So just the mentality shift from I own this and I'm responsible for what I do. One of the reasons people are, are scared of freedom is because then you have the burden of responsibility because that goes along with the gift of freedom. It's like, yeah, you own yourself, which means you're the one who deserves credit or blame for what you do. You can't pass that off on somebody else. But so many people are so potentially good at that. They've just had no practice because they always had an authority to whine to. Oh, so I think that when the, the, the myth of authority collapses, humanity can can and will have a very quick awakening where they shift from the mentality of stupid, irresponsible children to being grownups because they have to, they don't have a choice. Like, oh, the, it's like, oh, the teacher that we all just do what the teacher said. Well, the teacher left three hours ago. We kind of have to figure out what we're doing. And then suddenly their brains kick into gear and they go, okay, well, what do we, what is necessary? What are we trying to accomplish? What's a justified way to do it? And then when they're the ones who have to carry it out, they're a lot more cautious in, you know, are we harming somebody else? Like, well, that guy was accused of doing something wrong. Well, I don't want to punish him based on a guess. So even concepts like due process, they they naturally arise because like, well, that person said he did it, but he said he didn't do it. I'm not going to go beat him up because he like, can we find out whether he did it or not? And so much of the, the, like the principles of due process, I did a series about justice, are just a rational way for grownups to decide, all right, what do we do when there are bad actors like harming other people? And the whole process of, well, let's sure we make, make sure we know what actually happened. Let's have our response be proportionate. The, the safety of the victims has to come first. You don't just say, well, maybe he meant well when he was running around with an ax killing people. It's like, no do whatever you can to make him not be able to victimize innocent people. And most people understand that. Like, okay, if, if there's a psycho with an ax and I have to tackle him or punch him out or even shoot him to stop him from murdering a bunch of innocent people, one, that would be justified. And two, that would be horrible. And it would be a weight on the person who has to do it and a big enough weight 
that they take it seriously. And that's like one of the reasons I think, like I know a lot of gun owners and I know a lot of people who don't own guns, the responsible gun owners of which there are many automatically go into grown up mode because they're like, I have a thing that can kill other people. And I have to take that really dang seriously. And the reason I carry it is so I have the potential to kill other people. And I understand how serious a thing that is and how bad something has to get before that would be justified. Where most of the population is uh, dial 911 and then don't worry about it. It's not your problem. And you can stand there dialing 911 while you watch innocent people be victimized right in front of yourself because you chose to be a child. And so that mental shift. I think is a thousand times more important than whatever ideas I might come up with on my own. Even though, like I said, I like the discussion of how do we handle this? How do we handle that? But it's so important that everybody realize you're one of the people in this discussion too. This isn't which king do we stick on the throne? This is how do we as adult human beings deal with the things that we've been trained to hand off to government, which always does a horrible job. You know, I think that we really need to start uh, raising the next generation to feel that they're they're responsible yeah. for their lives, and so my husband and I, obviously being libertarians and taking responsibility and and enjoying our freedom, have raised our kids that way. And one of the things we've done that I didn't read anywhere, no one told us to do this, but it's worked brilliantly. My kids are now fourteen and seventeen, and they're doing fantastic. And what it is is we've never told them. They can't do anything. We've never said, you can't drink, you can't do drugs, you can't have sex, you can't, none of it. Because it doesn't matter what I say to not do anyway. You're still going to make your own decisions. So for parents to tell, to be like, you can't do this, who do they think they are? That's when a rebel is born. The rebel goes, oh, yes, I can. Watch me. I will go destroy my life just to prove to you that I can. And so my kids, I've always said, you know, you probably don't want to do math. I'm going to show you this video, this website called Faces of Math. And it'll, you know, this is what happens when you do it. You're right. going to make that decision when someone offers it to you. You're going to make that decision. I won't be sitting there on your shoulder going, you know, it's probably not. You've got to. And you're going to live with the consequences of your decisions. And if you make good decisions, you will, you'll, you'll go on that road. And if you make the bad decisions, you're going to go on that road. They are both just as solid as can be. And um, I think that's why we, we gave them that opportunity, you know, self-governance. It's what it boils down to anyway. You're going to be responsible for what you do. Yeah. And that, I mean, it's the same with my daughter who's like 26 now. And we, that was my first wife and we still get along great and stuff. Um, and our daughter, Alyssa, we were already anarchists by the time, time we had her. But the difference between, I talk about this in The Most Dangerous Superstition, my book. Short term, it can look similar between, well, these parents taught, taught the kids, you say please and thank you or we spank you. And these parents taught them to actually respect other people and understand that's a person too and taught them empathy and stuff. So like I give the example, oh, you're watching them at a picnic. Oh, both of these sets of, of children seem very well behaved. But that one's doing it out of obedience because of fear. And that one actually respects other people. Well, then along comes, you know, now it happens you were growing up in, you know, 1930s Germany. And now it's time to go invade Poland for the fatherland. 
The ones who were taught obedience run off and do it. The ones who were taught respect for humanity go, yeah, no. And that is the difference is if you're raising, and, and I love how many parents are now focusing on helping, helping the little people turn into big people. Like that's your goal. It isn't training a dog. Like, because when you let the dog go, you're not there anymore. And then the dog, this is one of the reasons people have no practice being adults. The entire reward and punishment system they went through was just, if I do what I'm told, I get, I get a reward. If I don't, I get punished. Well, as soon as you're outside of that, you have no practice at figuring out what you should actually do. And like you were talking about, the kids who rebel by doing a bunch of things that are bad for their health, like, good for you, you disobeyed. Now you have like lung cancer and, and liver failure. Like, how'd that work out for you? But the ones who are taught, like, and shown by example how to be a grown up, they very quickly start to, to have ownership of themselves. And start to treat other people as other people. And it's it's a world of difference. And if if people are trained to be programmable dogs and robots, which is what authoritarianism does, why would anybody be surprised that now we're having this war and this atrocity over here? Is their entire childhood, you taught them, do as you're told or we'll hurt you. Well, now they're big and doing as they're told. And what they're told to do is evil things because psychopaths are in power. Whereas if you taught them judgment and morality and respect for other human beings, then you come along. Like my, it, it has to be really weird to live in this world as my daughter, where she was never taught to believe in authority. So I know a bunch of people, myself included, who had to like be deprogrammed out of it, but she's never been in that cult. So to her, it's baffling to look around and go, why do people do this? Like, why do they think they should go along with this when it doesn't make any sense? Because she's never been in the mindset of having been programmed to be an unthinking robot. And so sadly, most people have to learn their way out of the lunacy that was bashed into their heads when they were children. But on the bright side, there's lots of, of kids like mine and yours and lots of other people I know they don't need to be deprogrammed because they weren't programmed to begin with. They were raised as actual human beings. I mean, and that is a huge shift. Our programming, there's so many facets of it. We're programmed yeah. to go to school. We're programmed to get a job. We're programmed to go to college. We're programmed. And so, you know, there's so many, they're busting out of all of these programs. You know, we've homeschooled our kids. They've never been to school. So the idea of sitting in a, an institution doesn't, it doesn't resonate with them to go to college either. And because um, you can learn anything you need to online and it doesn't cost really much or anything. And um, the, allowing your kids to fail too is another big one. You know, a lot of parents don't want to, you know, oh, I'm going to do it for you because I don't want you to fail at that. It's like, no, no, no. Hand them that and let them just destroy it and fail because that's yes. how you learn to take responsibility that you, that it's okay to fail. In fact, that's a good thing. And we learn a lot from that. And just, you know, in this whole idea in school that if you fail, it's bad. And where we come from, it's like, no, failure's the best because that's where you learn. And so it will be interesting to see these kids that come along through this that have a different mindset than, mm -hmm. than we've always had. But then the question arises, you know, I think humanity does have to shift in several big ways. And it may be happening. I'm hoping it's happening. But I was raised to believe, and perhaps this is wrong. I have to question everything I was ever raised to believe or or taught 
that if you want to see the future, look at the past. The past is the best indicator of the future. Human, I mean, you to quote Thomas Sowell, um, every generation is born little barbarians. And it's true. You're born and you have no clue. Not, we're clueless. We're taught everything we need to know. And so hopefully the teaching will get better there. But what's to say that you'd send set everybody free? Governments are no longer a thing. We get it. We're like, hey, we're not gonna we're not gonna elect people to crack a whip and tell us what to do and make decisions for us and rig elections and raise taxes and give themselves raises and what everything that so humanity tends to repeat itself. What's to say that human nature isn't such that we would fall for it again? Like maybe you know I look back to before before monarchs, you know, kind of like Native American society. They had tribal elders and leaders. There were no, there was no government. There was, I mean, some people say, oh, there was an Iroquois, whatever that was called, the Iroquois council or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it was voluntary. Yeah. The tribes came to that council on their own accord they seemed, I mean, they did well for 10,000 years. Were they peaceful? We don't really know. We only know what we've been told about, about that society, who, who can know. But apparently, and then people will argue and say, well, but you have to have a military to defend your country because, or because what if you guys get this great idea of having no government? But the Chinese military is still there and they're just going to come run you over. You have to be able to, you know, it, it is, it, how do we free the Chinese? My gosh, they make us look like we're having a walk in the park over here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with all of that authoritarianism that's going on, I don't know how you free the Chinese. I get, well, we have to set the example. We have to, I mean, right. I don't even know if they would see our example. I don't know. Um, the the thing of of people wondering if it's if it's going to repeat like in the in the case of the the native americans you know there are a bunch of different native uh, or nations and they weren't um a lot of them did not abide by the self-ownership principle because they they'd attack and fight each other and some were far more warlike and some were far more like mind their own business and like uh, hunter gatherers or or and even into doing agriculture and stuff and the only reason they lost that is because a big authoritarian monstrosity with way better weapons showed up, um, namely firearms. And but even the, the the mentality of those people, people underestimate how much the mentality of the population matters. So people will say, well, let's say government goes away and China wants to invade. I'd say, well, what would they do? Would they come and take half our income? Because somebody's already doing it. The only difference would be if China did it, nobody here would think it was okay. Even if they were scared into going along with it, nobody would think, well, they have the right to steal from us. The gang that has the most chance to abuse you is the gang that you think has the right to abuse you. And people, when people sort of think on a practical level of, well, if we didn't have this big military, they would invade they're missing the mentality. One of the videos I haven't gotten around to making yet that I want to make is basically put someone in the mindset of, okay, you're the top general of this invading authoritarian army and it's your job to invade and conquer this place full of anarchists. 
not a country, doesn't have a ruling class. None of them think anybody has the right to rule. How would you do it? And we'll give you a bunch of tanks, bombers and missiles and all sorts of fun, nasty, destructive toys. How would you do it? And it walks through and you quickly realize there's nobody to surrender. Like one guy can say, I give up. Yeah, but you don't speak on behalf of anybody else. And all of the rest of them feel completely justified in blowing your head off the moment they get a chance because you're obviously a violent aggressor. And just that difference in perception and mentality, like we we already have a country with like 100 million gun owners. That outnumbers not just every military, but all of the militaries in the world combined. Just the normal people with guns in this country outnumber all of the militaries of the world combined. And so if you have the mentality, so right now, the vast majority of those 100 million gun owners still feel like they're obligated to pay tribute to the, those crooks. So those crooks in DC and state capitals and all that are still capable of robbing them, not because of whether they have guns or not, but because of what's in here, because the slave smiths trained them to think as subjects. And as long as they think as subjects, it doesn't really matter if they're armed. But if some foreign invader comes in, suddenly everybody recognizes, hey, you don't have the right to do that to us. And what I wait for is the day when they point at the ones who look like them and sound like them and were born in the same country and say, you don't have the right to do this to us either. Like the fact that you do this gobbledygook doesn't make it any more legitimate than if China had invaded or Russia or something. Like we still own ourselves and you don't have the right to do that. You wouldn't need a deprogramming for the people of, of the U.S. To, to figure out we're not beholden to an invading army from some other country. You would see immediate widespread resistance in a way that, I mean, you look at the, the, the example of Afghanistan. It, they literally, a few people with AKs that barely knew how to use them, held off two superpowers until one of the superpowers fell over. And the other one is still like meddling every once in a while. The U.S. and the Soviet Union both kept trying to invade Afghanistan. Okay, now make the people with firearms way better armed, way better trained, huge, hugely more numerous and with way better weaponry and way better shots. And tell me they could be conquered by any force in the world if they didn't feel obliged to obey. There's okay. just no way. If you the mentality the and the machinery is there, you're not conquering the people here. You fielded that question fabulously. Thank you. This is amazing. So anarchy can work, right? So, okay. So people still have this horrible taste in their mouth for the word anarchy. It was, yep. I mean, yeah. Um, but the idea of just simply not having a government, that's all it is. There's nothing bad about it. It's not a bad thing. It's not like anarchy, you know, it's like, no, it's like anarchy, you know, happy days. <laughs> um, so eventually with no government, the idea would be to have no nations. Now we'd still have cultures because like various Petri dishes on the planet, that's what happens. Yeah. Language comes up, what the food you eat is different. You know, that's, that's what happens. So you'd have cultures kind of like Europe back before there were countries, you know, there was the Germanic tribes and there were the, 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 you know, the vandals and all the different people and they mixed and mingled and fought and, uh, but there were no boundaries per se. Mm -hmm. And so it, it does 
we can't do that overnight. You know, I, it'll be so interesting to see how this could play out. Um, it does seem like human nature though, is to conquer rape and pillage. It, and yeah, so we have to shift if it's gonna, I mean. Yeah, there's sort of, there's two aspects to that. One is like people are a, a herd species. We group together. We don't just like every man for himself scatter. And some people assume like anarchy means every man for himself. No, it doesn't. You can have literally a million different kinds of organization and cooperation, including in huge sophisticated ways. But there's sort of there's a there's a baseline level of moral evolution, if you want to call it that, that we have to be at that. I think most of the planet is now where you don't just kill somebody and take their stuff. Sadly, that is a very new development, like millennia was people attacking each other and killing them and taking their stuff. And like, well, this is how it is. And so we, the the evolution of respecting even people who don't look like us and don't sound like us, sadly, that is a very recent development in the overall timeline, which is yeah, kind of depressing to think about. It's like, well, you look different, so it's okay for me to kill you and take your stuff. Like, no, it isn't. And it took how many centuries for people to figure that out? But when you get to that point, then when people are saying, well, I think this, we just naturally form governments, we don't. We do naturally form hierarchies, which is that guy seems to know what he's doing. Let's follow his advice. But there's a big difference between I, I'm going to follow that guy's plan because he seems to know what he's doing, which is leadership. And that guy has the right to violently dominate me. And that's rulership. And there's a big distinction. The second is not hardwired into us. It's almost the exact opposite. What's hardwired into us is we don't want to be dominated and abused. And we don't want things doing people doing things against our consent. So the organization and the getting along and the hierarchies where people are like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but that guy seems to, so I'll follow his advice. That's fine. And that can that keeps happening. That'll happen forever. And, but it's so, when people have grown up always seeing a ruling class there, it's so easy to not notice the distinctions and to not really understand what's being suggested when I talk about no government. Because if government always did the roads and the police and they hear the idea of no government, a lot of people jump to, so no roads and no police and no helping the poor. And nope, that's not at all what I'm suggesting. All of those things can can and will still be done on a voluntary basis. It doesn't mean chaos in every man for himself. It means no violent domination. And that's all. Like you don't need violent domination to make a road or to help a poor person or, <laughs> or to do any of that stuff. So people have a hard time at first understanding what it would look like removing government because it's sort of like I use the example of if in Soviet Union, like your food came from standing in line for three hours for a moldy piece of bread, and somebody says, we want government to go away, the reaction of a lot of people is, where are we going to get our bread? Now, nobody in the US says, how would we have food without government? Because we already have a ridiculously huge variety of food. I mean, a ton of it is unhealthy because of government <laughs> playing with corporations and stuff. But we're not starving as a result of lack of government. But when somebody's mentality is that thing is what allows for food 
or healthcare or education or protection from whatever, then they imagine that if you're talking about doing away with that, then you're talking about doing away with those good things. And we're not. I think there's a there's like a Frederick Bastiat quote of like the socialists do what they've always done, which is when we say we're not in favor of government doing something, they decide we don't want that thing done. Like if we don't want government education, well, you must be against education. Mm-hmm. If you don't want government helping the poor, you must be against helping the poor. So none of the good things that any of the statists want government for are going away, protecting the innocent and taking care of the poor and building roads. Look, we're not saying do away with any of that. We're saying we don't need violent parasites in order to do any of that. So a lot of humanity and life would look the same. You're just removing a big violent monstrosity from on top of it. That sucks a ton of our productivity from us. If everybody... You know, like when I've talked to people about this before as well, it's like, well, what about the poor? Well, nobody wants to turn away someone who's hungry. Nobody. And it doesn't happen. There's, and so if you had 20 to 30 to however many percent of your income that the government that you, like a slave, have to give, you have to give it over. um, Ooh, we wouldn't even know what to do with it. You'd have 20 to 30% more income. And imagine how benevolent you could be. If people don't talk about the generosity of the human heart, we really do yeah. like to help each other because it feels good. You get to see someone benefit from something that you did or said or gave. And I like to use the um, the example of the Papa John's guy. I don't even know his name, but his story is one of such generosity that most people don't know because we don't talk about it. They say, oh, those evil rich people, the rich people do all that. They're horrible. They're greedy. They, you know, and it's not true he may start, I want to, I don't remember how many hundred, like a hundred million or 200 million a year he was making. And he and his wife were doing, trying to do their best to spend it. I'm going to destroy the story because I don't know it really well, but they were trying to spend their money and it's really hard to spend that much money. And they realized, hold on a minute. How much do we need a year to not feel obscene? And I think they decided that 10 million a year wasn't quite obscene that that would be good. And I'm like, heck yeah, if you're making 100 or 2 million, 200 million a year, yeah, 10 million a year, most of us can get along on that pretty well. And he gives the rest of it away to the charities of his choice. Mm -hmm. And just, we we do take care of each other. And if somebody's a jackass and doesn't wanna, you know, and is Scrooge and doesn't wanna, you know, but even Scrooge saw the light, you know, Mm -hmm. people come around. Well, so Larkin, what are some tangible things that people can do to help bring about, because you've, I mean, I had a, I had uh, my cousin's wife on, she's an anarchist at heart. And we just discussed long ago on Freedom Junkie Radio, we discussed what it would be like to have anarchy, but you've truly, you've written books about it. You've really gone there. You've, you're a deep philosophical, philosophical thinker about anarchy in a way that most people are like, la, 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 let's not talk about that. And, and just to usher in a better way of doing things because the old way is dying and we've got to come up with a new way. What are some things people can be doing right now? People who hear this to help. A lot of this uh, I'll describe specifics, but first I'll give sort of the mentality that sort of you can extrapolate all the specifics from this. Stop 
thinking and talking and acting as if somebody has the right to rule you. And if you understand that nobody has the right to do that, it doesn't mean that you don't keep paying tribute to the mafia to so that you don't get your knees smashed. It doesn't mean you obey a bunch you don't obey a bunch of their arbitrary laws because it's not worth the fight. But suddenly you view other problems in the world as your problem. If there's poor people and hungry people, instead of voting for some political parasite who says they're going to make some program by which they rob everybody and embezzle most of it and waste most of it. And then a few cents will go to like, do something to help that person. Like, isn't that way easier than getting robbed by a ruling class anyway? Like go give them some stuff. And even in that setting, the humanity makes it a thousand times better because if somebody's just being a lazy freeloader, normal people are going to notice you're just being a lazy, like you don't actually need it. You're just sitting on your butt. I don't want to help you. I want to help somebody who actually through no fault of their own can't take care of themselves or has have kids that they need help with. So the humanity makes that way more effective and the humanity makes it so that like if there's some poor person who needs your help, what you most want for them is them to get to a position where they don't need your help anymore. What government wants is perpetual dependence on the system. And so just the change in mindset, and it's true with defense too. Like the people in a little town I grew up in, I know hardly any of my neighbors, sadly, around Phoenix here. Um, but the people I grew up around, like, have my number. You know I have a gun. You know I know how to use it. If someone's breaking into your house at two in the morning, you can call the police and wait half an hour and have them show up and shoot your dog. Or you can call me and I'll be there in about 30 seconds and I won't shoot you or your dog, probably not even the invader unless absolutely necessary. But if people start to think in terms of, well, let's pretend we're grownups. So, so my basic advice is pretend you're grownups. And instead of thinking, well, what government program might handle this? Start thinking in terms of, and sadly, there's two steps. It's like, how do we as grownups help each other and make things work? And how do we avoid the thugs who are going to try to mess with that? Because when you talk about the poor and the homeless and, and hunger, the primary reason for that is government. Like I could build little shelters. I could build a zillion for almost nothing each, but people aren't allowed to live there. It's not zoned. You don't have a residency permit for that little shack. So you're going to sleep on the sidewalk because government doesn't let you sleep in this nice little simple hut. No, for your safety, you have to sleep on a sidewalk. And so part of it is how do we help each other? And part of it is how do we disobey and get away with it? And a, a kind of ra radical example that I have to point out, a friend of mine in Dallas, Texas, they still do it, I believe, every year. Um, they it, At some point, Dallas, I think it was a city ordinance or something, made it illegal to feed the homeless. Well, my friend and a bunch of people he knows straps on AR-15s and they walk out and they feed the homeless and they're heavily armed and they're giving away all this food and helping people out and stuff. The police have never messed with them because they're like, really, do we want the spectacle of they're out there helping people and we go and escalate it to something because we're mad at them helping people? So people have to have the mentality of you're a grown up, we have to help each other, but they also have to have, to have the mentality of disobey and resist in whatever way it takes to make humanity be what it should be. 
And a lot of times that's sneaky, like, well, we'll work under the table so they don't, they're not stealing a cut and using it to blow up children on the other side of the world. We don't really need that. Thank you very much. But the mentality of freedom comes up with solutions on its own. And sometimes they're illegal solutions. And when you stop feeling bad about illegal solutions that are actually good things, the, the number of options available just explodes exponentially. It's like, now there's so many ways to, to help the poor and defend people and, and do all these things when we're not asking for permission and we're not paying tribute to psychos. And, but they're still dealing with the practicality of most of the world still believes these psychos have the right to rule and they still think they have the right to rule and their thugs think they have the right to beat us up if we disobey. So you have to sort of take that. It's like living in a city where the mafia is in charge. You can't just pretend they're not there because they'll smash your kneecaps, but you can find a way to, to, to sneak around it. And, you know, when it comes to the currency, we have cryptocurrency now, which is an awesome way to undermine and sneak around or even just cash. Like, wow, well, we're going to do things under the table. Nothing's reported. Like both sides of the transaction know that those crooks have no right to know anything about it or take a cut. So we're okay here. They're not going to know this is happening. And sort of like in the Soviet Union, where the, the black market became the whole market, and then the Soviet Union <laughs> fell over, like that needs to happen here, where people are just like, stop reporting it and paying tribute to the warmongering psychos who just use it to kill people. Wow. Find ways to trade and find ways to interact like you're grownups and you have the right to be free. And there's, you know, there's a huge list of practical suggestions, but just that mindset makes even normal people able to come up with a hundred different ways to do the things that right now they're used to the government. Do. I love the fact that there were literally people filling in potholes and the story was they did that unauthorized and we're trying to find out who did that. It's like, really? That's where your resources are going. Some horrible person filled in a pothole without asking our permission. And, but, but anytime that happens, all the normal people are like, well, that's ridiculous. Like, good for them. They made things better for all of us. And these psychos are complaining about it. And so just that, just that mentality and spreading that mentality slowly just pulls the rug out from under the authoritarians until they just don't matter because nobody's paying attention to them anymore. Well, I think I so your suggestions are wonderful. I will actually put that into to I will make it very succinct in the show notes and on this podcast so that you know respectfully do what you should with even if it's disobedient and be an adult and 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 walk around acting as if you know that you're sovereign you can make decisions no one rules you no one and that ultimately is the truth no one does rule you you are, you have a, a mind of your own. You get to make the decisions. You're responsible for those decisions. And for anyone that has fear around that, like, oh, oh, this is getting a little bit out of, ooh, getting, you know, anarchy, oh, government collapsing, oh, no. Well, let's, you know, I've learned in my life that when you have a fear, go ahead one time so that you don't create it. If, if you worry about it, all you're doing is manifesting what you don't want, right? Because what we think about is what we bring into our reality. We're that powerful. And so you can't worry about something. But if you find yourself worrying about something like, oh, no, you know, what if I lose my job? Or what if my wife leaves me? Or whatever, you have this weird, irrational fear that hasn't actually happened. Imagine it happening. Imagine the worst case scenario once. And what you realize is you wake up the next day and 
it's actually okay. I, I, there's nothing to worry about. Even if I did lose my job, I'd be fine. Even if my wife left me, I'd be fine. And, and even if I died, oh my gosh, I'd be fine. And so imagine there's no institutions, there's no schools, there's no banks, there's no um, hospitals. It's all gone. Humanity doesn't need any of those things. We would begin the tribal thing. Yeah, you could die of an infection, but that we've learned about colloidal silver now. So it probably won't, you know? And and we would figure out how to forage again. We're really smart. We don't need any of that stuff. And so go ahead and allow it to crumble once in your mind and realize how okay we would be. Maybe even if we did die, it's that's okay too. Like you can't have those fears. So I just don't want people to, to have fear about the future. And especially because it's so unpredictable. What's the word I'm looking for? It's, we, we don't know what's, what's on the horizon. We know change is coming because it, it can't continue the way it has. I mean, Ron Paul's been saying for decades that the economy was going to collapse. I mean, we're like, you know, it's it, so, and we're all in it together. Yeah, and it's it, it's a matter of if somebody understands the principles and says, well, I have to do what's right, and then we'll see what happens, you find out that it also works a thousand times better. Like I became an anarchist not by deciding this works better than this, but by deciding violent aggression isn't okay, and that means government is never legitimate. Like it's really that simple, and I'm going to do the right thing, and as it happens, the outcome of doing the right thing is a thousand times better but if your mentality is, well, we have to advocate this nasty violence against everybody because I'm not sure what would happen otherwise. Like that is what tyrants feed off of. That is, and that is always their message. You need to give us a huge amount of power because otherwise illegal immigrants and this and invasion and disease and crime and horrible things happening all over the place and you'll all starve to death. Everything will go horrible unless you give me tons of power over you. And to be able to say, even without knowing the future, even without being able to control the future, I'm not going to advocate aggression against my fellow man. And then we'll see what happens. And then when you see what happens, it's, well, that works 100,000 times better than any government ever has anyway. So that's nice. So I was kind of wrapping it up here, thinking we were wrapping it up. But I have another question for you, because you said you were a statist. I don't think I ever was. When I was... 18 when I first became kind of politically aware I mean up until a certain point you're just a, a kid you can only think like a child you you're, you definitely do what you're told you know mm -hmm. or you get in trouble or whatever um and I was not raised to be anything but a statist for sure but I I remember saying to my girlfriend in high school in college one of my friends and I said I don't find myself to be liberal or conservative because I pull from both like I I am socially liberal. I believe in marrying who you want, doing with your body what you want, if you want to do drugs, whatever. It was a very liberal mindset in that regard. But I was also like, I also don't like the idea of the government taking our money. So fiscally, I was conservative. I don't, I want to determine who gets my money. I don't want the government taking, filtering a bunch of it out for themselves and then creating war. And I didn't like that. And she looked at me and goes, oh, Betsy, you're a libertarian. And I was like, what's that? And that's when I learned what a libertarian was. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm totally a libertarian. And um, I didn't realize I could have possibly been an anarchist until much later, but I was never a statist. So, I mean, maybe just under those parameters, I was thinking, you know, unbeknownst to myself, 
thinking, okay, there's the left, there's the right. I don't fall in any of it. Oh, I'm a libertarian. But if you look at the little diamond grid for the libertarians, when they choose the opposite of libertarian is statist. So I don't think I was ever really, how did you go from statist to anarchist just in a few minutes? Well, it, it was funny because it was really, I didn't know anybody arguing from the other side. I didn't know anybody who was an anarchist. I was almost always arguing for people who wanted more government than I wanted, but I wanted my argument to be consistent. So when I'm saying you don't have the right to, to rob me to fund some giant welfare state, but for some reason, it's okay for you to be taxed to fund a military that I want or whatever. And I go, yeah, that's hypocritical. I can't do that. And I just whittled government down until it was the ideal thing and realized that's not government anymore. That's just people being people. It has no special rights. Its dictates aren't laws. It's just people organizing and, and cooperating in voluntary ways. And so I accidentally got there by realizing there cannot be such a thing as a moral, legitimate ruling class. And every way that humanity should organize and cooperate is going to be based on nonviolent voluntary means and it was just like well that makes me an anarchist whoops wow. like I fell off the political spectrum wow you came to it naturally you weren't you didn't read some some book or or listen to some libertarian people and and get and wow no it was and it was funny because um my my first wife at the time we we were visiting uh, aunt and uncle of theirs and we are already sort of libertarian leaning constitutionalist. So we wanted a little government, but we still thought it was legitimate and talking to them. We accidentally sort of talked ourselves into like government can't be legitimate. Like it is, it has no right to tax anybody for anything, even stuff that we want. It has no right to do this. And it was funny because her, her aunt and uncle who are now long since deceased, we're like, we weren't trying to make you an an into anarchists because they weren't, they still weren't. We just noticed that that's the only logical position. Either if I'm going to, if I'm going to actually abide by don't advocate violence against innocent people, you can't advocate government. If you advocate government of any size, any flavor in one way or another, you're advocating violent aggression against innocent people. And we got to the point where we realized that and just fell off the political spectrum. It was like, well, that was weird. <laughs> like, we weren't even nobody. We didn't know somebody who talked us into that. And we read a bunch of things and 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 were aware of ideas. But it was a weird process to just logic ourselves completely out of government and go, oh, well, I guess we're something fundamentally different. Whoops. Like we weren't trying to do that. I think the anarchists of today are really way pavers. I really do, because it hasn't. And like you said, ideas like this and new ways of doing things have to start, yeah. you know, idea back to your idea of slavery that we, we, we all agree. It's, you can't do that to people. And that wasn't always the way. So this is so exciting, Larkin. I cannot wait to go back and, and, and listen to this again and edit and uh, get it out there. Is there any, I mean, you've left us with a great ending you know with what we can do is there anything else that you'd like to to leave people with here's this this ray of hope i like to throw at pro-freedom people because i totally understand and sympathize with the pro-freedom people who are just very frustrated and think everybody else is too stupid and they're not going to understand it and we're all doomed i would urge people to look for the pro-freedom person inside everyone you're talking to, because there is one. There's a voluntarist inside of pretty much everybody, except maybe complete sociopaths and just avoid them at all costs. But 
it's easy to be discouraged when you can't distinguish between what somebody really is and what they really believe in and the authoritarian garbage they were taught. Back when I was a statist and I supported the police and I supported the military, wasn't because I was evil, wasn't because I was pro-oppression. It was because my perception of reality was warped enough that my goodness was used to trick me into cheering for authoritarian evil, which, by the way, is kind of a central plot of Jones Plantation. He's not talking to people into being evil. He's using their goodness against them. And when you're talking to somebody who has this authoritarian lie smushing their perception of reality, it's easy to think of them as an enemy. Like you're an advocate of that evil, stupid stuff. I would urge people to put in the extra effort to find the voluntarist underneath that lie because they didn't choose that lie. It was bludgeoned into their heads day in and day out for the most of their lives. And it isn't what they really are. And if you can find the part of them that actually believes in peaceful coexistence and help to free that from the authoritarian garbage they were taught that's holding them down, you'll find that almost all of the world is our allies waiting to happen. Ah, and it's so great. And we do that by asking questions. Just yep. ask questions. Because if you try to tell someone your viewpoint, you ju they just put up barriers. Did yep. you just say, okay, well, what do you think about this? Oh, do you think that that we should be funding wars? Do you think our taxes, that that money goes to good things? I ask questions. It's great. Oh, this is so awesome. You've made my day. And the Freedom Junkie radio community is going to eat you up and love you if they didn't already. And again, I, I'm going to post a lot. I've, I'm, there's going to be so many great snippets from this one because you are, you've, your thoughts are very clear and you articulate them very well. So I will be able to put this out many different ways and and get people to watch the Jones Plantation, and it's uh, it's worth buying. I mean, it's ten dollars. You know, it's like you go pay that to go watch a movie and invite your friends over and watch it and let it get into people's subconscious. So, Larkin, I just want to thank you as your as your human sister here who gets you and we, we we're on the same wavelength that I appreciate you and all of the efforts that you've made, the ones that have been unrewarded um, in any way, the ones who've even got you in trouble maybe, or, or have, you know, made you create haters. No, I just appreciate your authenticity, your honesty, your willingness to go out and be speak your truth. And, and I don't like speak your truth, speak the truth. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that you are willing to have an open mind and have it changed. You know, that's where ultimately we all need to be. It's like, I don't not, I'm still, I'm still not dead yet. So I don't know what my final thoughts are going to be on anything. And you've certainly enlightened me here today. And I just want to thank you and and encourage you to keep doing what you're doing uh, books. And, you know, I want you to write a book about, I came up with it during the, um, maybe how, how we create this next, you know, end of slavery, this next end of government, the end of state, the state, mm -hmm. what are we going to do? How's it? So thank you so much for coming on. And I guess we're going to sign off and maybe I'll have you on again. If, you know, if, if the, topic arises Thanks i wish so much well, for having me well <laughs> okay well 
See you, Freedom Junkies. I want to give a shout out to Chris's Coins again in South Boston. Everybody go visit Chris and get your coins for this Christmas. K-R-I-S-Coins.com, South Austin. He's your guy if you need to buy some gold and silver. Ciao for now. I live better than a king ever did. I live better than a 